Today we're continuing in our series in the book of Exodus, and today I encourage you, if you have your Bible, uh, go to Exodus chapter 14. Uh, Exodus is one of the easiest books in your Bible to find. It's, it's the second book in the Bible, and so if you find Genesis, keep going. Uh, the next one is Exodus chapter 14, and today I want to talk to you about the miracle of when God parted the Red Sea so that the Jewish people could cross over on dry ground. It always reminds me of that story I heard years ago of uh, a a little boy who got in the car after church, and his mom was driving him home. She said, well, Johnny, what did you learn today in Sunday school? And she said, oh, we, he said, we learned about how God parted the Red Sea, and the Hebrew people passed on dry ground. And she says, wonderful, tell me that story. And little Johnny says, well, first of all, Israel got there, and God parted the Red Sea just a little, but then they built a bridge. They built a bridge and they walked over on the bridge safely. And then the Egyptian army came and God sent F-16 fighter jets to bomb them and, and it destroyed the army and the Hebrew people were safe. And mom says, Johnny, I don't think that is what your teacher taught you today. And Johnny says, yes, but if I told you the real story she told me, you'd never believe it. Maybe that's how you feel whenever you read the story of the parting of the Red Sea. You say, well, it's myth, it's legend, it didn't happen. There are some who will even tell you it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. It was just a very small amount of water that they trudged through and just a strong wind kind of blew the waters out so that they could go across. Of course, if that was the case, then we've got an even bigger miracle on our hand because now we've got a whole Egyptian army drowning in two feet of water. So uh, maybe that's a bigger miracle. But the reason I believe the book of Exodus is real is because Jesus did. And I'm just going to go with whatever Jesus says. But here's what I know about this story. The Hebrew people found themselves in a moment of a dilemma. They found themselves, as Matt said earlier, with their back against a wall. They were literally between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army that was out to destroy them and to re-enslave them. And yet in the middle of that dilemma... What we sometimes forget is that they were there in that problem because God led them there. Sometimes God allows us to face problems for His glory and for our good. For His glory and so that we can grow in our faith. That's kind of what we're going to talk about today. How that God may lead you and He may lead me to face some problems in life to glorify His name and to grow our faith. There are just certain lessons about trusting God that we are not going to learn when things are going well. We only grow in our faith whenever we are put to the test. And we have to determine whether our faith is real, whether we're going to depend on God or not. God may allow us to follow Him to be absolutely in the center of His will, and He still allows us to face problems and dilemmas. Because sometimes whenever I'm facing a problem, I wonder, what did I do wrong? Or maybe I'm facing a problem and I'm saying, God, where are you? But often God allows us to go through problems because we have been following him. He is leading us, but he has not promised to spare us difficulties or trials or testings. In fact, what he has promised is that he can bring good out of all of that. And some of the good that he brings is that His name is glorified because we discover that He is powerful and He's worthy of our trust. And some of the good that He brings out of our trials when we step out in faith and trust Him 
is that he grows our faith. And we are stronger on the other side of our trial than we would have been otherwise. You can go to church for years and years and never really have a strong faith in God. It's only until that your faith is tested that you can know that God is worthy and he's trustworthy. So what we're going to do today is we're going to quickly read through Exodus chapter 14. And I'm going to stop along the way and comment if you don't mind. I'm going to do it anyway. But, uh, but I want you to keep that bottom line in mind that God may lead you to and through a problem to glorify his name and to grow your faith. Let's see how that worked out for the Hebrew people. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pahaharath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Let's pause there for a moment. You remember last week, God has redeemed his people from Egyptian bondage through the Passover where the judgment of God fell on the firstborn of every home in Egypt, except the homes where the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and the lintel of the home. And now because of that tenth plague, Pharaoh has relented and he has agreed, go, get out of here. But the Bible tells us Pharaoh has a change of mind. In fact, this is the tenth time or so that he's changed his mind. He is a fickle leader. And some people get tripped up on the scriptures whenever they read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. They said, that's not fair. How can God do that? That's not fair to override Pharaoh's free will. But you also need to remember those times in the book of Exodus when it says Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. God was simply doing with Pharaoh what Pharaoh wanted done. Pharaoh says, I don't love God, don't believe in God, don't want to obey God. And Pharaoh hardened his heart against the will of God, no matter how severe the plagues became. And so whenever we read that Pharaoh hardened his heart, we can also read God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God says, that's how you want to play. That's how we'll do it. And so we find them walking out of Egypt, but they come by the will of God to a barrier. It is the Red Sea that they've got to cross to get into the promised land. They don't have boats, they don't have ships, they don't have any way to cross. There's no bridge, contrary to what the little boy said in Sunday school. They are between the Red Sea and the encroaching Egyptian army. And God says, I'm going to show myself strong. Look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? that we have let Israel go from serving us. They start to realize, we just allowed our economy to walk out the door. Our economy, our nation has been built on the back of slave labor. By the way, that sounds familiar if you know anything about American history. One of the reasons we fought the Civil War was because some people just didn't want to give up a lifestyle built on the backs of other people. And Pharaoh says, What are we doing? We can't let these slaves go. And it says, 
Verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out, listen to this word, defiantly. That's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means they were going out not only defiantly, but they were going out with, with their heads held high. As far as they were concerned, woo, we are free. Nothing but the promised land ahead of us. Milk and honey, here we come. They did not take into account that between them and the promised land might be some testing of their faith. So we'll notice that attitude changes a little bit. Verse 9, it says, The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 11, they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Wow. Things can change quickly, can't they? One moment we're at a mountaintop and the next moment we're in the valley below. And in those moments we sometimes struggle because our dilemma can seem so overwhelming, so fearful, and we can feel hopeless. And we can feel helpless in the face of our problem, our dilemma. For you it might be a financial dilemma or a, a physical or health dilemma. It could be a relationship dilemma that you are facing. Or maybe if you're a parent, it's that dilemma of fear that sometimes racks your soul at night when you wonder what kind of world will your children inherit or your grandchildren. And in those moments when your back is against the wall, when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, or for the Hebrew people between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, it can become fearful to say the least. And whenever you become fearful, you sometimes wonder, are we out of God's will? That's what the Hebrew people started questioning. They cry out to God. We're not told what they cry out to God. We're just told they do. But with the attitude they have, it's probably, why have you done this, God? Why have you allowed this? And then they quickly turn their attention to their spiritual leader, Moses. And they start complaining against him. It would have been better if we would have stayed slaves in Egypt. We should have died there rather than out here. You've brought us out here. You've got us in a hopeless situation. Now we're going to be slaughtered. What were you thinking? We should never have followed you. Do you notice something that's missing here? What is missing is the perspective that perhaps God is in this trial. Not that God does it but that God allows it to happen, to teach them to depend on Him. And it's pretty sad that they have turned so sour so quickly after everything God has done for them. 
God has said he's heard their cries. He's heard their pleas. The calamity of their slavery has come up to God. And he has raised up Moses to be their deliverer. He has sent ten plagues, one after the other, on the Egyptians. He has spared their families and their lives and has redeemed them through a substitutionary sacrifice. The judgment of God against sin has passed over them. And now, after all that God has done, they quickly start blaming God and complaining against God's leader over their lives. I don't say all that to condemn them. I can relate to them. I've been there. I've done it. I don't mind telling you there have been times in my life, even as a minister of the gospel, that I have gone through some difficulties and I have quickly said, God, where are you? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to do all the right things. Why have you allowed this to happen to me? Now, I know all of you are so spiritual, you've never had that thought. You've never had a moment of questioning, God, why are you allowing me to go through this trial? But I have. And what I failed to realize is that the wrong question is, God, why have you allowed me to go through this trial? The right question is, God, what are you trying to do in me through this trial? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, how are you trying to show yourself strong for me through this trial? Rather than get me out of this mess, the better prayer is, God, what do you want me to get out of this mess? And what God wants us to get out of this mess, whatever it is, is he wants us to get out of it a stronger faith in him and a trust in him that he is with us. He's been with them. We, we skipped over it. We don't have time to read every verse, but we've already been told in Exodus chapter 13, I think it was verse 21, that God has been leading them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God has made himself manifestly visible to them. He's there. And you say, well, he's not always with me. He is. Hebrews 13, 5 says, God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, but I don't always see God. That's called faith, where you have to trust in his promises. Look at verse 13. It says, and Moses said to the people. Now, you might want to underline this. Fear not. That's the first phrase I underlined in my Bible. Fear not. Stand firm. That's the second phrase I underlined. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And how is it that Moses could say to them, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. Well, the key is verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. That's how you can fear not. That's how you can stand firm when you are convinced the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Stop complaining. Stop moaning. Stop grumbling. Stop playing the blame game and learn to depend on God in the midst of your trial. Evidently, Moses, the leader, takes his complaints to God too. And as a pastor, I can relate to that one as well. You complain to me or about me, I complain to God about me. <laughs> God, you got the wrong guy. I don't know why you put me here. These are your people, not mine. Holly, you know what I'm talking about. And here's what verse 15 says. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? 
Now, now I think this is interesting. It's rare that you're going to find in scriptures God telling people, don't talk to me. It's rare in scripture that you're going to hear God saying, don't pray. But that's what God says to Moses. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to, here's another phrase I underlined in my Bible, go forward. Fear not, stand firm, go forward. He tells Moses, verse 16, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. What do you do when you face a problem that's bigger than you? Well, whenever you know that you've got a God who's bigger than your problem, you can fear not. Fear not. I haven't counted, but someone has said that fear not is repeated 365 times in the Bible. If that's true, perhaps God is saying there's a fear not for every day of the year. Whatever this day holds or whatever tomorrow holds, fear not. Trust me, don't be trembling. You've got to be faithful in this moment. You have nothing to fear. If God be for us, who can stand against us? Fear not. You say, but my problem's bigger than me and I don't have the answer and I don't know what to do. If you face your problem alone, you have a lot to fear. But if you know the Lord will fight for you, you have nothing to fear. Nothing whatsoever. That doesn't mean it's wrong to feel afraid. That is a human emotion. God gave us the capacity to be fearful. Sometimes that keeps us out of trouble. We, we get fearful and we, we do the right thing. More than maybe we would if we weren't so afraid of the consequences. You know, I was coming home from Georgia and I saw State Patrol in my rearview mirror with the lights going and my heart skipped a beat. I checked my speed and I wasn't speeding uh, it, it made me afraid. It kind of keeps me humble. It, it makes me a little more obedient to the law than maybe I would be otherwise. So sometimes fear is a good thing. And even whenever you face a problem, fear can be a good thing whenever you realize it's bigger than you. You can't handle this on your own. Fear not means I take that fear and I run to God with it and I give it to him. God, here's my fear. This problem is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and bring it to Him with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Your fear gets replaced with God's peace because you know the Lord is fighting for you. Fear not. But remember the second phrase I asked you to underline? Stand firm. Whenever you fear not because you're convinced the Lord is on your side, He's in control, He is fighting on your behalf, He can make all things work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 You can not only fear not, you can stand firm. Stand firm on what? 
Stand firm on your belief in the promises of God. Stand firm on your convictions that He is a good God. Now, He's bigger than you. You won't always understand His ways. It doesn't make sense why He led them that way. But God led them to that moment, to that place. And in that moment, when their faith is being tested, they're going to have to stand firm on what they believe about God, what they have experienced with God so far. They're going to have to stand firm on that and not give up, not throw in the towel. And I'm going to say this to all people, but I especially wanted to say it to young people. It is very tempting today to not stand firm in your conviction as a follower of Jesus. It's not always going to be politically correct. It's not always going to be popular. It's not always going to be the easy thing to do to stand for the Lord. But stand firm and keep your faith in Him. But there's going to come a moment where your faith is put to the test because if you really have faith, you're going to have to put feet to those faith. That's why you go forward. God says it's time to get moving. Moses, tell the people, go forward. Now imagine this. Moses is looking at an encroaching Egyptian army, the world's superpower of its day, approaching people who have been slaves for 430 years, who aren't warriors, who have no weapons. And on the other side is the Red Sea, death and drowning. And God says, go forward. (laughs) That way, God... Are you sure there's not a better way? Sure there's not a different way, easier way, a way that makes more sense? God, there's no bridge this way. You're telling me to go forward. And God says, I'm absolutely telling you, go forward. Because I'm going to do something that only I can do. I'm going to make a way. And when it's all said and done, my name will be glorified. And your faith will be stronger. It's time to go forward. And they had to go forward. Before they saw the miracle. It's one thing to be standing on the seashore and say, God, as soon as you part that water, I'm going to step out. It's another thing to take one step forward knowing you're marching to the sea. And you see no way forward if God doesn't come through. That's the dilemma. And that's what they did. They obeyed God. They took that first step of faith. They put feet to their faith. They put feet to their prayers. They became a part of the solution rather than just complaining about the problem. And they trusted God and God worked in a miraculous way. And friend, if there's a lesson for us today, it is this. When you face a problem, fear not, stand firm, go forward. Fear not, stand firm, and do the next right thing that God has called you to do. We want a whole roadmap that shows us from A to to be. And this is the destination, and this is the route, and these are the detours, and these are the stops that God's going to take us on. But He doesn't give us that kind of a roadmap. He says, take one step of obedience, and I'll show you the next one, and I'll show you the next one, and I'll show you the next one. You know why? Because that's what builds our faith and our trust in God. Faith is when we learn over time through personal experience that God is dependable. And God is good. That's faith. So what is it you're facing? That God is saying to you this morning, fear not. Stand firm in your beliefs. And go forward. And the next thing I told you to do, 
What is it for you? I think about a young family, and without their permission, I'm not going to call their name. In fact, I, I'm looking around. I don't know if they're in the service. I don't think they are. But there's a young family in our church, and I thought about them this morning on the way here because I knew we were doing baby dedication. I performed their wedding many years ago, and this young couple wanted to start a family. And then they realized after different medical diagnosis that they were not going to be able to physically have children. And it was a heartbreaking time for them. I remember praying with them and counseling them and trying to walk with them as best I could. What do you say to a heartbroken woman and her husband? And so I watched them deal with that, but I also watched them lean on their faith in that time. And they probably would not have put it in these words, but in hindsight, I look back and I say, what did I see in them? I saw them fearing not, standing firm, and just going forward with the next thing God had for them. They tried different medical interventions, and none of those were successful. What did I see in that? Fear not, stand firm, go forward in the next thing. And that's what they did. That's what they did. When all those medical doors closed for them starting a family, they started thinking and praying about adoption. They came to my office and said, we're thinking about adopting a child. You know, God wants us to have a family. We know it in our heart. But he's put in front of us this impossible situation. And we realize there's more than one way to have a family. And they started that process of adoption. You know what I saw them? Fear not. Stand firm. Go forward in the next thing God has for you. And that's not always an easy process. I don't remember exactly how long it took. But I know there was a lot of paperwork background checks, interviews, raising some funds. But they did that. They feared not, stand firm. And they went forward in the next right thing God had for them. And I'm, say, I'm able to say to you today, God gave them a beautiful girl. She is growing. She is beautiful. She's strong. She comes bouncing in to our children's uh, environments to learn about Jesus. And her smile is infectious. It's awesome. That's probably a bad word to use in this season. I'm sorry. Her, her smile will light up a room. And you know what I've seen in them over these last few years? A couple who said, we're going to fear not, we're going to stand firm, and we're going to do the next right thing. Sadly, dad's been diagnosed with cancer. Surgeries, chemotherapy, radiation. I called him the other day to encourage him. Have you ever wanted to encourage someone and whenever you leave their presence or you hang up the phone, you think, wait a minute, I think I got the bigger blessing. I was encouraging him, but he encouraged me. And you know what he said? He said, Ricky, we don't know what the future holds for our family, but we know God's led us this far. He's not going to let us down now. And I see in them a couple, fear not, stand firm. Go forward with the next thing God has for you. I'm not going to stand here and say, life's going to be easy, and it's a sitcom, and your problem will be solved in 30 minutes. But I will say this. I've read the last book of my Bible. Those who have faith in Christ are on the winning side. And you will be rewarded for fearing not, for standing firm, going forward with what God has for you. That's his lesson for us. In the last part of chapter 14, we read these words, verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Don't get the mistaken notion their faith was perfected in this moment. It wasn't. Neither is yours. Neither is mine. Our faith won't be perfect until faith is no more. And faith has been replaced with sight when we're in the presence of Jesus. But they were stronger. They were different. They had an encounter with God that taught them a lesson that maybe they will remember in the future. God may lead you to and through a problem to glorify his name and to grow our faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in a way that is personal to each one of us and help us to apply what we've learned today through the lesson for our own lives. God, you know the problems and the dilemmas and the fears and the struggles that these, your people, are facing and I know that today you've given us the example of the Hebrew people in Exodus chapter 14 as a way to encourage us. That just as you are the great I am, you are still I am. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can depend on you. And because you fight for us, because you have a plan, because you know the whole story and how it begins and how it ends, we can fear not. We can stand firm and we can go forward in the next thing you've told us to do. And we can see you when we step out in faith. And God, thank you for growing our faith. Thank you for helping us to know you in a way that we could know in no other way through our trials and through your faithfulness. So Father, would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you find us people, men and women, boys and girls of faith in you? I thank you for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, who went to a bloody cross willingly. Fear not, standing firm, doing the next right thing, and he trusted you with the results. And he knew that on the other side of the cross would be an empty tomb. On the other side of his groaning would be glory. On the other side of his suffering would be the salvation he secured for us through his own shed blood. On the other side of a crowd cheering, crucify him, crucify him, would be the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church to today, two billion people professing Jesus Christ is Lord all around the world. Help us, God, to keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us to fear not, to stand firm, and to go forward. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.